stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Estrela alva brilha em mim Brilha a luz que anunda o meu Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good to be with you here, Labor Day morning. I hope you've had a great weekend, and uh, the Lord is blessing you and your family. And we're going to look uh, this morning at uh, Philippians chapter three. We've been walking through the book of Philippians, and I hope you've been able to join us for some of that. And it's been a wonderful time through this book once again. And uh, we're going to look at Philippians three one to eleven this morning. So turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians three. 1 to 11. 
And I'm going to read the verses, and then we'll go back and, and just give some comments, uh, and then we'll, then we'll close it out. Hallelujah. So let's begin with verse 1 of Philippians, chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Whoa. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted for loss for Christ. These famous words by Paul, right? That we know so well. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of a Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And then these famous two verses as well, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Woo! We love this passage by Paul, right? Us who have been in the church a long time and read the Paul letters, heard the sermons, these are some of Paul's most famous words. I count all things lost but to know Christ. And yeah, these are very powerful verses, and, and we'll be looking at them a little bit here. And uh, we only have 30 minutes, you know, so uh, you, could spend, uh, 30, you could spend 30, 30 minutes on these passages, I'm sure, and still continue. It's so rich and so deep. But we'll see what we can get into. First, just real quick, the structure. Verse 1 is really sort of an intro, you know, produces you know, introduces uh, the fact that Paul is going to address them about something that he finds very important. So he's alerting their attention. You know, wake up. Sort of a transitional verse. Then he gives the warnings, right? Beware. Then he gives an exhortation to sort of lift them up and encourage them. And then, then he goes through verses 4 to 11 of personal reflection on his experience dealing with what he's talking about. So he, so the general idea of the passage is it's about the temptation to somehow believe that we can earn approval or salvation based on any sort of human effort. Okay? Now, and of course, that is, that is one of the marks of Protestant evangelical theology, right? We are saved by grace through faith that no one can boast. In other words, we do not earn salvation in any way. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ and the cross that we are saved. In other words, that we have 
any righteousness at all that would present us as acceptable in the presence of God. And so the Philippian church is now just as the Galatian church, and go read Galatians, especially the first few chapters, is dealing with the Judaizers, which are those folks who come in and try to convince Christians who have put their faith in Christ that they also have to be circumcised or they have to have or they have to adhere to some type of uh, law, uh, food requirements, all kinds of things that the Judaizers would try to bring in and say, yes, Jesus and the cross plus this. And so it's the Jesus plus gospel. Jesus plus anything gets you saved. And, you know, the Protestant evangelical position is actually Jesus only <laughs> makes you saved and righteous before God. And all the things that we do, the life that we choose to live, is is a surrender to God because of His great goodness to us. But we know that all of the work that we're trying to do in no way produces righteousness. Okay? So, uh, so that's, that's sort of an overview, okay? There's the overview, right? And so Paul is talking to the Philippians. So Paul apparently, looking at verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. In other words, apparently Paul has written to the Philippians about these things before, about these concepts of the Judaizers and uh, the, the temptation to for them to succumb to the pressure to be circumcised with the assumption that circumcision makes you more acceptable in the presence of God. Okay? So why would Paul write to them about something he's already written to them about? Well, he says it right there. It's a safeguard. In other words, Paul knows that hearing a truth... So here's the first point. And I know that many passages skip to, the, to the, the famous verses about Paul saying, you know, I have all these credentials as a, as a Jew, but I count them as nothing compared to knowing Christ. And, and we'll, I have some comments I'll do there uh, in just a minute. But I don't want to skip over the first verse because actually I found as I prayed and, and studied, there's some really good stuff here. In the first verse, Paul says, I'm writing to you something again because it's very important because he knows, Paul knows that, Hearing a truth one time does not mean that it's assimilated into our spirits fully. Let me say that again. Hearing the truth once does not mean that we've been able to fully take it in and appropriate it. Now, that's true in my own life. If we're honest with ourselves, we've got to hear the truth multiple times for it to start to filter in and replace the lies or the assumptions we've made or, or the things that we've brought in from culture or childhood. And the Lord, we have to hear the truth and be confronted by truth many times. And Paul knows that. Paul knows that... that uh, think about Judas, right? Judas Iscariot. Let's think about Judas for just a second. Judas had walked the face of the earth for at least three years with a perfect teacher receiving perfect theology, okay, under the perfect example, a sinless teacher, 
Okay? And he encountered perfect truth on a daily basis. But the truth did not assimilate into his heart fully. So, simply hearing a truth doesn't mean that we've got it. Okay? There has to be a, a, time, a, a, a time element where we submit to the truths that we're hearing over time so that it changes our hearts. Okay? And we have to submit to that. So we can't just assume that you know, we hear a good sermon and there's some good truth in that sermon and we'll learn something new and, okay, that's pretty good, so I'll check that one off. I heard that truth now. Well, now, sometimes the Lord will bring you back to something multiple times because He knows that you haven't really, even though you heard it once and you recognized it as something that was true and good and of the Lord, the Lord knows you haven't, really taking it into your heart yet. And so, I just want you to take a little time to ask the Lord, God, what are some what are some truths that I know I've encountered, but I haven't fully taken them in yet. And I need to hear them some more. God, would you bring those truths into my life one more time so that I can start to really change and transform into the person that you have in mind for me to be. Okay, the second reason I think that Paul is saying this is because Paul knows that if we are away from truth too long or if we're not revisiting truth then the devil has opportunity to infect our thoughts let me say it again that's one of the reasons why we insist so much to study the word of God daily almost really right daily that we visit the word and, and that we we look at truth and, and let some sort of truth that's found in the Bible come into our minds. It's because if we're away from truth for too long, the devil has opportunity to come in and start to sort of twist the thought, right? And starts to sort of make a second guess, right? Sneak in there a little bit. He's very sneaky, the devil, in all of his lies. Okay, so, so we have to revisit the same truths multiple times. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that that, uh, you've lost it or you're a bad Christian or anything like that. It simply means that in our human state, you know, if if we are not confronting truth on a regular basis in the Word, through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, okay, then remember Jesus says the Spirit will lead us into all truth. Gospel of John, chapter 16. If we're away from the Spirit, if you reject the Holy Spirit, then truth, you're rejecting truth. The Spirit is the one who leads us into truth. And He does it as we read the Word, as we come to community, into community to worship, as we take communion, as we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so, so Paul is saying, we've got to go back to this over and over again because the temptation to somehow present yourself as righteous before God because of your human efforts will sneak in there inevitably. So that's verse 1. God help me. Verse 2. There's three beware's. (laughs) Beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of the mutilation. There's three beware's that Paul mentions here. So let's look at the dogs. That's a pretty harsh term. Okay? Dogs. Dogs were universally despised in the East. Considered moochers, scavengers, okay? 
Don't don't have in mind here, you know, Lassie. You know, the old show, the big collie, Lassie, that could run and find Jimmy when he fell in the well. You know? Don't don't have in your mind Lassie here. This 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 is these are uh scavenger dogs, okay? So now it's a harsh term by Paul, but man, these guys have made Paul pretty mad. And he's really he's really worn out with these guys trying to come in and, and disturb the people that God has blessed with the truth of Jesus Christ in the cross. So he calls them dogs. Why? Because he knows that that they are really going around mooching off of his hard work. They're a bunch of scavengers who just go around looking for Christians who who are left unattended and unshepherded so that they can come in and, and just take advantage of them. In other words, they're not really interested in sacrificing themselves for the good of others. Okay? So he calls them dogs. And he says, not only that, they're evil workers. Beware of the evil workers. Woo! Evil workers. That's harsh. Well, you know what Paul says about them? Is, you see, these guys are intentional. Don't be fooled into think that, that uh, evil is an accident all the time. People's hearts are not always pure in intention and just they, they mess up. No, there are some people in this world that are active agents of evil in the world. Let me say that again. Because you need to know this. You know, you want to believe you want to believe in the best, you know, believe the best of anybody, right? That's sort of what we try to do. And I do believe that everybody might have a has an opportunity to change while there's still breath in your lungs. But there's some people who have not repented and they are in, have chosen to be active agents of evil in this world. And you need to be able to recognize them. You do. Okay, that it's they're premeditated in their actions, they're calculated in their plans to carry out evil intentionally, and they don't have your best interest in mind. You need to be able to recognize when somebody like this comes into your path. And Paul is calling it out right there. These are evil workers. Don't be fooled by these guys. And then he mentions uh, beware of mutilation, which really is a strong word in reference to circumcision, because, you know, circumcision was actually instituted by God. And Paul uses a kind of a derogatory term here. Okay, but let's be careful. Paul is not saying that what God did with Abraham in the book of Genesis is, is a mutilation. That actually was a testimony to what God was going to do in a circumcision of the heart. But see, what these guys are doing is they are taking uh, something that God instituted and turning it into a works righteousness which destroys the power of the cross. And so he says that this they're, all they're doing is just cutting the flesh. There's no good, there's no spiritual merit in it at all. And so they've, they've debased the promise of God through circumcision to that. Okay, so those are the three bewares. <laughs> and then he exhorts them and says, but what is the true circumcision? Well, it's us. It's those who by the power of the Holy Spirit confess Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. So Paul is reminding us of the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy. Now listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. 
Moses is given the, the speech, right? The book of Deuteronomy, this speech to the people of Israel before they crossed into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy verse uh, 6 of chapter 30, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thy heart and the heart of your seed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Let me read that again. See, Paul is reminding the Philippian church that in Christ we are fulfilling that prophecy of Moses. The Lord will circumcise your heart. Because that's what circumcision was truly about, right? It marked you as, as, a, as a descendant of Abraham and one whose heart was supposed to be turned towards God. And so, all those who are found in Jesus are the fulfillment of this prophecy that our hearts are circumcised, set apart towards God, to love the Lord your God. You know, even in the Old Testament, circumcision of the flesh was not intended to make the person righteous. It never did. Okay, it was a prophetic act by God that, one, that God would one day provide the heart to be transformed, to be circumcised. Let's look at Romans 2, verses uh, 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. Okay, so Paul is giving comments out of the book of Romans, and I'm bringing in Romans here to sort of color what's in Paul's mind when he writes to the Philippians. He is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Okay? In the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So Paul is saying you can't be a pleaser of men and be righteous. So now Paul takes this to a personal level, beginning of verse 4. Okay? So let's take a look at, at where, he, where he goes next. Okay? Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. So he's saying, I could have confidence in the flesh if I wanted to. If anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he lists all of the reasons. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless. So he lists his credentials. <laughs> right? And then, what does he say about them? But what things were gained to me? All these things <clears throat> I count loss for Christ. In other words, once I met Jesus, once I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and the blinded light came, and I heard the voice of God saying, Saul, why are you, why are you kicking against the pricks? All that meant nothing to me anymore because I finally began to understand what it was all about. It's about the circumcision of the heart. He's saying before, before I met Jesus on the, road to, on, on, that, on the way to Damascus, and he knocked me off my horse, I didn't get it. But once I met Jesus, I finally understood what it was all about. And all that stuff meant nothing to me anymore. Just meant nothing. Because all of that was just me trying to prove myself to God and get the approval of man. 
That doesn't work in the kingdom of God. In the, in, in, in the economy of God, it's only through Jesus that we are righteous. So let's look at the seven. Circumcised on the eighth day. Pure-blooded, right? He's from the best tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, okay, defender of God's law, right? Persecuted the church, was looking to kill Christians. So he's presenting his resume. He has every box checked from an Old Testament perspective. And Paul had to come to a place of humility before God and recognize that his personal achievements completely fall short. In fact, they were nothing. Literally nothing. They were worthless. And so all of us, too, have to come to a place where we are stopped justifying ourselves before God. I mean, look, all of us are really good at creating our own arguments and sort of justifying our actions and presenting those arguments before God as if He needs us to tell Him what to think, right? Oh, but God, I did this, and God, I did that, and, and God, I tried my best here, and, you know, it, that's okay, right? I really, All of us are really good at justifying ourselves in our own minds and coming up with our own reasons of why we did what we did. But like Paul in the end, all, all that stuff is just us trying to present ourselves as righteous before God on some sort of argument or some sort of merit we can think of. And it, it really amounts to nothing. Because the Word says that if you uh, broke one law, if you break one law, then you broke the whole law. Let's go to James. James 2.10 For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Do you know what a valve cover gasket is? You know what a valve cover gasket? I was uh, years ago. Years ago, I was uh, you know driving my car, little sedan that uh, our family gave us, blessed us with it. It's been a blessing, um, over two hundred thousand miles, and it drives like it's got fifty. It's amazing. But I'm driving a couple years ago. I'm driving it, and you know. The smell of engine oil is coming through the engine compartment into the the cab area, and I'm thinking that's not that's not right. Something's wrong. So I take it to the mechanic. He says your the the gasket that goes there's a cover that goes on top of the engine, and that it, that that cover has what's called a gasket. There's gaskets, little rubber gaskets and grommets all over your car, everywhere, and it's a little rubber piece that makes sure nothing leaks. Okay. There's, there's these little things all over your car. Well, the, the cover has a gasket, okay? And you can have everything in that car working perfectly. But if that gasket is leaking, if that one piece is leaking, you're going to smell, you're just going to stink. It's going to smell bad. Cause, because oil, what happens is the oil starts to Kind of, it just needs a little bitty crack in that gasket because the pressure is so high in there, and the oil will start to spit out that little hole. It'll get on the engine block, and once it heats up, it'll burn, and then it'll smell bad. So everything in that car could be working perfectly, but if that one little piece isn't right, then it's off. 
And that's what James is saying here. And that's what Paul is saying is, come on, y'all. We're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves when we come and present our list of credentials and our, our list of accomplishments. You know, because what we think in some way that, that we can direct God's attention to only the things that we've done good and that He'll just ignore all the, all the things that we've done bad. And, and, and the Lord is saying, I hate to tell you, but your gasket is leaking bad. <laughs> you need Jesus. <laughs> and just when, you plug, just when you think you plugged one gasket and another one starts leaking, stop trying to do the rat race of self-attained righteousness. Righteousness only comes by faith. As Paul says here in these next verses, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. We've been talking about that, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So it's effort-based righteousness versus faith-based righteousness. Two different types of righteousness. And Paul is saying he had to come to a place where he confessed that in all of his efforts, he, he had the best credentials of anybody that anybody could for effort-based righteousness. And he finally had to come to realize that that that, that, that meant literally nothing. He, he, he wasn't even on the right baseball field. The game was being played in another city. I mean, in fact, he wasn't even playing the right game. He's, he's trying to play baseball, and everybody else is playing soccer. They're, they're, they're not, it's not just a, it's not really even a comparing of the two. They're, they're, it's just totally different worlds. And so the two cannot combine. The two cannot combine. And you can't combine baseball and soccer. <laughs> the two separate sports. And so Paul is saying, you can't let these guys come in and you can't let anything come in and try to make you think that you somehow have to do this or, or for God to save you, to get into heaven, to, to be approved by God. Once you're saved and once you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God works on you to live a life that's worthy of the calling. Okay? But the calling itself... And the righteousness itself does not come through those efforts. Let's look at uh, just some verses real quick to support this, and then we'll be done. I won't get to the last few verses. But now that righteous, this is Romans three twenty-one to twenty-two. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Romans 1.17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And faith in Jesus. But let us not forget that Paul says in the very beginning of this passage that it's empowered by the Spirit. Okay? It is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. So don't depart from the Spirit. Don't somehow think you yourself can appropriate the work of Jesus and the cross onto your life. It's only by the Spirit that that's done. It's only by the Spirit that the work of the cross can be appropriated and the righteousness of God be placed upon your life. Hope you have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Brilha a luz que é no meu viver